Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Outbreak Podcast, an outlet for discussing creativity and the great beyond. We also discuss everything from gaming to film to the dark and dreary corners of the internet. I'm your host in this ride, William Key. It's been quite an exciting week for news. I am I am glad to be back and have a, a full show to deliver to you guys. This is episode 112. How's everybody doing this evening? Uh, another Friday night uh, before the long weekend here in Canada. It was it was a very interesting uh, day yesterday, specifically. Uh, we had actually experienced a bear sighting in our town. And the reason why that's so strange is because our town is fairly uh, suburban. So, you know, it's a population of about 100,000 people in this little town, right? And so there was a black bear spotted uh, in front of the high school uh, just like at like six o'clock in the morning right where my wife was working uh she was actually there at the school and this this uh bear was spotted on camera just kind of roaming about didn't know where to go and now the area that we live without doxing ourselves is kind of a combination of like residential neighborhood combined with like large patches of like forest area so there were plenty of places for this bear to to potentially hide but it was running from neighborhood to neighborhood it was all by itself and it looked like it was like a bear cub like a sizable bear cub like probably a teenager and it, they ended up finding it in the south end of town it had climbed a tree and so the police officers had actually taken to tranquilizing it and and brought it down from the tree just to get it out of the neighborhood because i guess it had wandered away from wherever the heck the bear came from uh, much farther up north somehow and it ended up in town and this isn't the first time that we've experienced a bear sighting we actually had a bear sighting about like two minutes up the road from where we live right now and so i'm wondering if it's the same bear that just got lost in his herd and has just been wandering around this whole time trying to figure out what to do but i think the last time we had heard about the bear it was like early january february that we heard about it so it has been a while but it's been caught it's being sent back to a a proper home where it can live and not run around and, and potentially hurt anybody this week i haven't hopped back onto chia but i did watch two new movies that i want to discuss with you uh first off i finally finished off the last kingdom seven kings must die which is the extended i guess sixth season but also it's like an hour and a half almost two hour movie uh that is the, the conclusion to utrid's story uh and i gotta say it was quite underwhelming actually compared to the last season which i felt like was a fairly satisfying conclusion for that part i felt like seven kings must die was just sort of this add-on and it kind of lost me at a number of points and unfortunately like it did not hold up as well as i thought it was going to i thought i'd be a little more interested considering it was setting up to be this big climactic finale but it honestly probably could have benefited from a bit more depth in terms of like storytelling i i understand the need to kind of like you know finish telling the story in a movie form because you know that's all you were really given but I don't know. It reviewed pretty well. Maybe it just wasn't for me. The hard thing about a show like this is because it has such a large ensemble cast of characters, there's so many characters that I can hardly remember their names and characters that all have very similar sounding names like Ethel Fled, Ethel Stan, Ethel Fliad. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't remember. I'm remembering faces and not necessarily names. And I think maybe the story i probably would have benefited from reading the original books um to which i didn't read the original books uh so therefore i don't have that context but you know all in all that was sort of it for the last kingdom and not the most satisfying conclusion but it was a conclusion nonetheless 
the other thing I watched, which actually just came to Disney Plus on Wednesday, was Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. This was my first time watching it. I missed out on watching it in the theater. So I decided to watch it on Disney Plus. And I got to say, I did not realize that 95% of this film took place inside the quantum realm. I thought that there was going to be a bit more story told outside of the outside of the quantum realm. So it was a bit surprising that they blew their whole budget on the visual effects in this film. It was a much it was a grand departure in terms of tone and story than it did from Ant-Man and the Wasp because this is a post Endgame world that we're living in right now. So everything is kind of a little serious. Ant-Man's now an official Avenger and so he gets called upon and he's got this history and you know he's not rolling with the old crew, right? The old crew which he was pretty notoriously famous for in those first two films and what kind of carried Ant-Man as sort of this comedic superhero heist film. And this film, in a way, was kind of a heist film, but it was more like an escape, like a great escape type film. I got to say, though, I enjoyed this film much more than Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think a lot of people may disagree with me on that because the way that this film reviewed, it actually did not score as well as people were hoping for. And some people were actually putting it down in uh, one of the lower tiered films, much like The Eternals, which I didn't. I don't think that's fair to this film. I think this film, while there's areas that they don't explore as nearly enough, I thought this was quite a spectacle film. And Kang stole the show. I think Janet Van Dyne also stole the show too. This film really explored a bit more of her history with the quantum realm and PTSD that she suffered from just like living and returning to that world and the unexplained horrors and trauma that she dealt with and under Kang and working with Kang that she wanted to hide from her daughter Hope and the family. I thought that that was fantastic watching Michelle Pfeiffer sort of explore those sort of inner demons. You know, there were people saying that Hope was underutilized in this film. I, I thought that she was, she had enough of screen time, you know what I mean? She was in most of the fights. Uh, I think Cassie definitely stole the show. I thought she did a great job. The Catherine Newton, who took over for the role, I think she did a, a fantastic job as sort of this like, sort of naive troublemaker who's just you know trying to do her dad proud but also is just kind of like rough around the edges and and you know because she's she missed out on having her father around for that period of time but she's not exactly a bad kid she's just she's doing bad things for good reasons so there's a little hero in there somewhere but it's interesting that she's already got a costume i'm i'm like wow like did so Hank Pym must have gave her a costume just so that they can join this Ant-Man family and uh, fight alongside Hope and Scott. And otherwise, you know, Scott was sort of like, I guess, average in this film. You know, it, it this wasn't really his film because now it's Ant-Man and the Wasp and it's sort of a family dynamic, right? It's less about just Ant-Man and it's now about the family and that's what it's come to. And Kang, like I said, was you know brilliantly played uh and it set up the future of the mcu leading up to the kang dynasty and secret wars in a great way great big way uh and we're going to explore more of that in loki i don't know if you guys know this but apparently jonathan majors the actor who plays kang has not been promoted or advertised on disney plus for this role in the film because right now, obviously, I don't know if I just touched on this because I've been away from the podcast for a couple of weeks, but he was arrested a couple of weeks ago uh, for allegedly assaulting his girlfriend. And so he's currently dealing with a court case involving that. And so he's been dropped by management. He's been dropped by agencies. He's lost out on film roles. And, 
you know, his role as Kang going forward is sort of up in the air because we don't really know what's coming of this court case. Interestingly enough, you know, Majors' lawyer says that they have proof to to corroborate his story. His ex-girlfriend has also come back and sort of retracted some of her statements that she made about uh, his abuse. But yet it's still got to play out in the court, right? And so we're kind of playing the waiting game, but we're coming up pretty quickly on on SDCC in July where we're going to be getting announcements potentially for the rest of Phase 5 and Phase 6. By then... You know, we will hopefully have more information about whether Jonathan Majors is continuing to play his part within the universe. Otherwise, I don't really have much more in terms of Marvel until later in the show, like near the end. I've got some more Marvel stories to touch upon, so I'm going to leave it at that. Otherwise, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I'd say, you know, fairly above average film. I'd give it a 7 out of 10. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Great fight scenes, great visual effects, you know, for the sort of tight constraints that the VFX crew had to deal with. I thought that they turned out a, a great product. And yeah, I, it, this this film series, if it does continue past the third film, it's a family film series, right? So we'll see how much of a role they're going to play in Avengers Kang Dynasty. I think having a firsthand uh, experience with Kang, I think that will put Ant-Man front and center for the next big Avengers film and to sort of much like Endgame, sort of be the the hero that nobody was expecting to sort of save the day. Otherwise, I would like to move uh, quickly and swiftly and other words that r- rhyme with quickly, post-hastily, into our extensive lineup of stories. I do want to kick this off and let you guys know. If you didn't already know, if you haven't been watching the news, Sony has announced their PlayStation Showcase is back. Uh, next week, May 24th, I think it's around like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. And so Lord knows what they're going to be showing off. Uh, the showcase is, is set to showcase, I would assume, what's going to be coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks or uh, weeks and months leading up to Christmas time. And, you know, there's a couple of things. People have already been posting and talking and discussing predictions, what they feel they're going to see. I'm going to, you know, kind of spitball a couple of things that I hope or expect to see at this showcase. I think now with June just around the corner, it seems like a guarantee that we're going to get one final trailer for Final Fantasy 16. Uh, so that seems like a dead giveaway. I've been hearing rumors that we're going to be finally seeing some footage from this Factions 2 for Last of Us. I also think that we may get potentially another Last of Us project, uh, whether it be the official announcement of Last of Us 3 or if it's going to be another Uncharted or something else entirely. I do think Naughty Dog, they're a pretty busy company, so Factions won't likely be the only thing that they're working on. Maybe we'll get some God of War Ragnarok DLC, but I doubt it. I, I, this game doesn't seem like the type that's going to have like a continuing arc. I really do hope that we do get to see either a new trailer or some more details for Spider-Man 2, uh, considering this film is slated to come out sometime in the fall. According to suggested leaks by Venom actor Tony Todd, it's supposed to be like the beginning of September. But I would put a more official date, like somewhere in October seems like a safer bet, like middle of October, I'd say like, I don't know, the week of the 15th to the 18th, but I, I've been wrong before. That's just kind of my, my middle of the way prediction. Maybe we'll get more details about Wolverine. That would seem like another interesting one. I've also been hearing some uh, r- rumors about Team Asobo or Sobu who do the Astros Playroom that we haven't really gotten any details of a new Astro game. So maybe we'll get like a our next big Astro game or a PlayStation 5 experience. 
Uh, so that would be a great way to sort of showcase that. Um, going back to the Last of Us factions, uh, I was listening to PlayStation Drive today, and they actually predicted that this showcase would be perfect to sort of launch a summer beta, either at the release of the showcase or, you know, in June, people get, can sign up and get ready for the beta. I wouldn't put it past them to say beta or playtesting is available now. If you guys want to hop on and try it out, uh, I can see that happening. Otherwise, I, we have to wait till next week to, to uh, see what they discuss. And you'll know that we are going to be discussing this on the episode next week. So please stay tuned. That'll be probably a top story for next week. Uh, our next big story, this was another one that dropped early in the week. We actually got confirmation that the uh, European Commission has approved under the U EU merger regulation the proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft. The approval is conditional on full compliance with the commitments offered by Microsoft. Uh, the commitments fully address the competition concerns identified by the commission and represent a significant improvement for cloud gaming as compared to the current situation. So obviously the decision was made following this in-depth investigation of the proposed acquisition. There's been some pushback by, by other competitors, including Sony as being a big one. Uh, there's been a you know, a lot of sort of speculation about the fact, like Call of Duty was sort of the big one, right? Was that like, well, they're they're purchasing Activision Blizzard, so they're going to take Call of Duty away. Well, no, I mean, it seems as though some other acquisitions that, that Microsoft has been making in the PC gaming space has seemed to suggest that they're trying to expand into the PC market a bit more. So according to the EU's in-depth investigation, they indicated that Microsoft would not be able to harm rival consoles and rival multi-game subscription services, and at the same time confirmed that Microsoft could harm competition in the distribution of games via cloud games streaming services and that its position in the market for PC gaming operations would be strengthened. And they said even if Microsoft did decide to withdraw Activision games from the PlayStation, this would not significantly harm competition in the console's market. So some of the proposed remedies that the EU has put forward to allow for this uh, acquisition to continue forward would be that the market for um, Microsoft offered the following comprehensive licensing commitments with a 10-year duration. Free license to consumers in the EEA, which is the European area, uh, that would allow them to stream via any cloud streaming service of their choice, all current and future Activision Blizzard and PC and console games, and a corresponding free license to cloud game streaming service providers to allow EEA. Now, funny enough, last week there was a big interview that went, that went out on Kind of Funny, X, the X-Cast, with uh, Xbox CEO Phil Spencer following the release of Redfall to pretty damp expectations. Um, Phil Spencer owned the fact that, that Redfall was sort of their fault. And they also admitted to being third place in the, in the console war, you know, behind Sony and Nintendo. They said that just that even if, you know, there's no, they also painted the fact that we don't live in a world where even if Starfield was good, that, that Sony players are not going to be selling their consoles. That's unrealistic. So he's sort of, he's sort of downplaying, the fact that like he i mean i he has all the faith in the world for starfield but he's also sort of tampering people's expectations and thinking that it's going to be like the next breath of the wild like it's going to blow people out of the water and sway people away from all the consoles to go play xbox only and it seems as if that like you know we've been kind of looking at this acquisition in a completely different light you know it has it has been very heavily discussed in the news and everybody has discussed the fact that it has been primarily Sony versus Microsoft 
and that with Microsoft purchasing Activision Blizzard, that they were going to be taking competition and taking gamers away from Sony's uh, market and having all the good fun games apparently be playable only on Microsoft, Xbox, and PC. And that doesn't seem to be the case. And I think that the European Commission realizes this uh, and is enacting ways for Xbox to be able to still put forth their acquisition and still be able to get this company, but have it be in a way that's beneficial to all gamers and not restrict people from being able to play on the console of their choice, which is the way that things should be. And, you know, with cross-gen play uh, on games that have come out recently, like Minecraft and Rocket League and Fortnite, where you can play with somebody on a Switch console or a PC, that should be the way things are going. And I feel like Microsoft should be at a point where, you know, purchasing these companies should be finding a way to strengthen their push into the PC gaming space, but also still be able to allow for anybody to be able to play the game wherever they want. Keep in mind, as I said, these remedies come with a 10-year uh, price tag or a 10-year tag. So this is valid at least until 2033. But what what is the gaming space going to look like 10 years from now? Uh, are there even still going to be consoles by that point? Or is everything going to be played on sort of one device? You know, it is. it has always sort of been the console war. More recently, it's been the acquisition war. But who knows what the next generation is going to look like? Only time will tell. Only time will tell. Uh, I want to move forward into our next story. We did get the first official uh, trailer for the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. And it surprisingly looks pretty good, actually. So the Five Nights at Freddy's movie trailer unveils the adaptation of the popular video game franchise of the same name with the film starring Josh Hutcherson, you know, most famously known for his role in the Hunger Games films. Uh, he's playing at security guard Mike Schmidt, who is going to be the nighttime security guard working at that famous Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, who discovers the restaurant's mascots are capable of murder. And of course, the main villain of the film, aside from the animatronics, uh, is Matthew Lillard's character, William Afton, I believe his name is, who is the owner of the Freddy Fazbear Corporation, uh, having created the Funtime animatronics and being a child murderer the spirits of whom would possess many of the killer animatronics. So it's a much darker and more unsettling story than I initially thought. Of course, you know, this game, much like much like Poppy's Playtime, have kind of been taken over, taken the world by storm, and they've been popularizing these crazy horror games for kids. But this film seems to have the elements of very interesting horror film. You know, I think that Nicolas Cage's Willy's Wonderlands kind of came a little earlier than this and was sort of the Five Nights at Freddy's film that we needed at that time. But this is a legit one that seems to be staying true to the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's. I'm not familiar with the lore, but I am interested in seeing how this film plays out. You know, we're in an era now where video game films are actually doing pretty well at the box office. And the people who are working on these films are familiar with video games and the concept of them as an art form and are taking better care as to making a product that stays true to what gamers expect it to be, but also try to pull in a new audience that's not familiar with the property. Take, for example, like the Super Mario Brothers movie that just came out, as well as The Last of Us television show. It's having elements that cater to the fans of those uh, properties, while also reeling in new fans to also get them familiar with the world and the games and the characters. Moving ahead to our next story, Mortal Kombat 1 was officially announced this week. NetherRealm has shown off the trailer for their 
rebooted Mortal Kombat series, which, you know, was originally being called Mortal Kombat 12, but now following in the trend of Mortal Com- or of Battlefield with Battlefield 1, Mortal Kombat is beginning a new era in the fighting game series. Discover a reborn Mortal Kombat universe created by Fire God Liu Kang. Mortal Kombat 1 ushers in a new era of the iconic franchise with a new fighting system, game modes, and fatalities. This game is going to be available on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, Nintendo Switch, and PC on September 19th, 2023. Pre-orders start today as of the recording, and PlayStation and Xbox players will receive beta access available in August. So some of the characters that they tease that are going to be returning for this, including Liu Kang, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Raiden, Kung Lao, Katana, Melina, Shang Tsung, Johnny Cage, and many more. And it will also introduce Cameo Fighters, which is a unique roster of partner characters that can assist during matches. I didn't get a sense as to what the fighting style is going to be like for this game, but the cinematic trailer was beautiful. And if the gameplay is going to look anything like the trailer, I think that it's going to be uh, quite a grotesque and very graphic. I'm surprised they even went there with the trailer, showing some of the fatalities and the brutal, gory nature of, of Mortal Kombat, which your kids aren't going to be playing this game clearly this isn't for them this is for this is like the boomer fighting game much like doom is the boomer shooter game i do look forward to seeing how this fares mortal kombat has always seemed to to score pretty well uh, especially among fighting fanatics you know i'm not much of a fighting fanatic but i can appreciate a good fatality a good whoopsie once in a while and toss toasty and frosty and all the classic lines from that uh, original game Maybe they'll bring those back. I actually don't know, know if they ever left Mortal Kombat, but you know, maybe next year, if NetherRealm was continuing with like annual or sub-annual or, or biannual releases, eventually we're going to get another Injustice game. I feel like that's also coming down the pipe as well. So we'll see. We'll see. Now we're going to be focusing primarily on our Marvel discussion. You know, this is the area that I excel in. We got some more details about Captain America 4, including some new set photos confirming that WWE wrestler Seth Rollins is going to be in the film and appears to be taking on the role of King Cobra based on his getup. And in the photo, he was pictured next to a woman who was wearing an outfit that had a diamond on her on her shirt, which seemed to suggest Diamondback was going to be in this film as well. This film has also been rumored to be changing the name of its uh, subheading, which was New World Order. Uh, and initially, funny enough, Back when Captain America Civil War was announced, the film went under a separate title, Captain America Serpent Society. The confirmation of King Cobra and Diamondback in these photos seem to suggest that we are heading back to Serpent Society as being the main villains of this film. But you also got to remember that this film has also confirmed that we're going to be seeing the leader as well as potentially Red Hulk show up in this film. So it's going to be a pretty busy film with a lot of characters sort of weaving their stories in. And Captain America 4 has already confirmed to not be following the Falcon and the Winter Soldier in terms of its story it's set up with uh, Sharon Carter. Uh, that will probably take place in a separate show or movie, but we do need to see the continuation of that story at some point and how it's going to take effect. Maybe it may take effect as early as Secret Invasion, uh, which is set to debut in June. I don't have much more to say about Captain America 4, but I do think that they are going to be retitling the film to Serpent Society, if anything. The next thing I want to discuss is the announcement of the release dates for two upcoming shows for the MCU coming in 2023. We got confirmation as to when Loki and Echo are going to be releasing. Those are going to be the only two shows that are in the 2023 slot. 
and Loki has actually been pushed back to begin streaming on October 6th weekly releases. All episodes of Echo will drop at once on November 29th. So Marvel seems to be experiencing or experimenting with the idea of a binge watch model, uh, much like they did initially on Netflix uh, by releasing all 13 episodes of their Marvel Netflix shows. They seem to be doing that with Echo. Now, this could be interpreted one of two ways. Some people on the negative side seem to interpret this as they don't have enough faith in Echo to justify stretching it out across multiple episodes, like six to eight episodes. But I seem to think they are just experimenting experimenting with the model of releasing it, giving other shows and movies enough room to breathe and, and giving people who are suffering that superhero Marvel fatigue uh, the ability to sort of watch everything at once and pause and wait for the next series. The fact that Loki got delayed to October, I think is interesting on the back of the news with Jonathan majors, because if you guys don't already know, and this may be spoiler, but Jonathan majors had made an appearance in Loki in the post credit scene or not the post credit in the, in the episode finale of season one. But we also got confirmation in the post credit scene of Ant-Man that we got a bit of a, a sneak peek at Loki season two with a new character, Victor Timely, that's also played by Jonathan Majors. Now, if the re- the the fact that Loki had been pushed out of a summer release because it was initially supposed to be July to October seems to suggest that they're possibly setting up to do reshoots in the event that Jonathan Majors ends up losing his role as Kang and they're going to have to sort of retcon and make a new version of Kang that all the other versions of Kang that we saw in Ant-Man and the Wasp are going to be a new actor. It's hard to say, but I think they're waiting to see how the court case plays out to be able to determine if Jonathan Majors will continue in that role as Kang. But this is certainly, uh, the longer this drags out, this is certainly tarnishing his reputation and also tarnishing the the good name of Marvel that they it appears like they're sort of sticking and, and keeping faith with him. But in actuality, they just want to see how it's going to play out before they jump to any conclusions. So I'm excited for both Echo and for Loki. I think Loki was a was one of those surprise uh, hits from Phase 4, uh, and it seemed to be the sort of kicking off point of the multiverse saga, and now we're seeing the ripple effects taking form and continuing it on in Season 2 and seeing how that sort of evolves. Everything seems to be just getting worse in terms of the ripple effects here. And Echo seems like it's going to be a bit more of a grounded story. Uh, we are going to see a confirmation of Daredevil and Kingpin will appear in the Echo series, so that'll be a lot of fun. I'm still game to learn more about the street-level superhero uh, characters that are going to be taking place in this uh, this side of the universe. You know, we're getting Daredevils at some point next year, so that'll be exciting. Possibly next year. I think they're still filming because there's 18 episodes for the first season, so we'll see how it goes. Considering that these shows got pushed back to the fall, it's likely that shows like Agatha, Coven of Chaos, Ironheart are going to come before Daredevil, which could push Daredevil out of its 2024 slot and into 2025. So we may have to wait a bit for Daredevil, but we'll see. We'll know more at San Diego Comic-Con because they're going to confirm some more dates uh, for Phase 6, and that'll give us a clearer picture as to how far delayed films like even Avengers, Kang Dynasty, and Secret Wars are going to be. That's all I had in terms of stories. As you know, last week I introduced a new segment uh, called the YouTube Video of the Week, and it's sort of making up for the fact that, and I realized this, by sort of talking more in depth at the start of the show about what I've been experiencing and I've been focusing a lot on movies, it sort of made the what's in the letterbox segment sort of 
less important. So I decided to replace it with YouTube video of the week because I watch a lot of YouTube. And like I said, I come across a lot of interesting videos. And so this week I combed back through my, my search history for the past week and found the video that, that stuck out as the most interesting. This particular video sat on my watch later list for about two months before I finally decided to watch it. I put all, all these YouTube videos on my watch later list on, on I think, Tuesday. Yeah, I was home working from home Tuesday and I had it on the background while I was working. And when I watched it, I actually stopped what I was doing to watch it because I thought this is a very interesting subject. The video is called Fixing Pokemon with Cinematography by the YouTube channel Daryl Talks Games. What this meant, because I wasn't exactly sure what it meant, this is speaking more to the fighting animation for Pokemon games and how it's always sort of remained the same. You know, you've got like sort of a, a state like a stale like one shot like a like an RPG where one Pokemon attacks, it does some lame animation like a little bite or a little like move push forward and the other Pokemon gets hurt by nothing. Whereas in games like Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Coliseum, they sort of had dynamic camera movements and it felt more like an action movie. And so Daryl, I guess is his name, discusses the fact that future Pokemon games should adopt the moniker of what fighting movies do and have dynamic camera movement and more engaging uh, attacks like you see with something like Pokemon Coliseum, which they teased a little bit, uh, but even more recently than that, like Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2, uh, that also sort of had dynamic camera movements or little camera vibrations. They try to do this uh, in some of the newer games by sort of doing all these long sweeping shots when you're in the sort of waiting mode, like close-ups of the other Pokemon or close, like pan arounds the trainer and that sort of thing. But it's not as interesting as if you actually, you know, say from move to move, depending on the move, some of the moves have great animations, uh, but some others just look kind of lame. Like I know <laughs> there was one Pokemon game where like tail whip or, or sand attack was literally like the Pokemon just like kind of, rubbing against the ground and then sand all of a sudden kicked up and then you you don't see them getting hit in the eyes with the sand you just see like the the red sort of like like everything just kind of like red rain in front of them like their accuracy is down whereas bite actually shows the pokemon sort of move and then do the bite and like the biting animation over top of the pokemon and then you say your controller will vibrate or the camera will sort of shake to show that the motion had taken place and I think one other thing that they failed to mention within Pokemon, like I, I felt like there were some Pokemon games that actually had a bit of a different type of shake when it was super effective versus not very effective. Uh, but I could be very wrong in that. It might have been older Pokemon games that did that. But Fixing Pokemon with Cin Cinematography by Daryl Talks Games, I'll include a link below in our description. And moving ahead... I actually forgot to post last week's poll. Last week's poll was kind of a boring question. Are you playing Tears of the Kingdom day one? I'm going to guarantee you that like 70% of you probably would have said yes. I feel like anybody who looked at that question would have been like, I am currently playing it or no, I'm going to wait. I feel like it would have been more heavily towards the yes because that was sort of the phenomenon game of the year. Uh, so I imagine more people played it than not. But this next question is a bit more interesting. And if you are a Marvel head like myself, I want to know what your thoughts on this is. 
So following the news of Echo, should Marvel shows on Disney Plus embrace the binge watch model by releasing all episodes at once? I'm saying like moving forward, should all the Marvel shows do this or should they, they continue to kind of be a case by case basis? So answer with a simple yes and no. The answers will be available on Twitter at the release of this episode and I will discuss the answers on next week's episode. So as for that, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can head over to my blog, wkey.wordpress.com, where I occasionally will post feature-length articles, news releases, or general opinions on anything I find interesting. If you want to follow me on social media, here's a couple places to do so. On Twitter, my podcast uh, Twitter account is at Podcast Outbreak. If you want to follow me on my personal Twitter account, where I am a little more active, it's at Will Key. Uh, on TikTok, search at William Outbreak. I had a fantastic video that I worked on this week uh, that was a lot more fun. Uh, it was called Six Liminal Spaces I'd Like to Get Lost In. Please go and check it out at William Outbreak. I am planning on doing a bit more in-depth videos that have a bit more of a comedic touch uh, and then kind of play around with it a bit more. So I am going to try to engage more with TikTok in that way uh, as well. Search William Outbreak on Redbubble and you can find three distinct shirt designs. This includes the podcast logo. I have the song on Rock Band as well as Stick on the Ice Chicken and Rice. You can get those in any assortment of, of clothing or kitchenware or bath mats or phone case, laptop case, duffel bag, whatever they... Uh, whatever's available on there. I'm sure you can find something. As well, this show is available on anchor.fm, anchor.fm backslash Yelbrick Podcast. But we can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Listen Notes, iHeartRadio. The list goes on and on and on. If you do listen on Apple or Spotify, wherever you're able to leave a five-star review, it would mean a lot. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what you'd like to see changed. Let me know your general thoughts on me as a host. Um, I take anything to heart and I will, if I like it enough, even if it's a negative comment, maybe I'll read it out loud on the show and I'll make you feel bad. And I'll say, listen to this jackal calling me a, a fancy fancy pants McGee. I See, I can't come up with shit on the fly. I have to sort of write it out. And this is why sometimes doing a live show is a little embarrassing because I make myself look like a fool when I can't even get my words together. So you got me there, unknown commenter that never actually commented. Yep, I'm Fancy Mance, Fancy, Fancy Pants McGee. That's my name now. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode on a Friday night. Enjoy your white Russian coffees or white Russian alcoholic drinks at the bowling alley with the big Lebowski. Just, just enjoy. Enjoy it. And I will see you guys on the next one.